0: Section twenty five of the Underground Railroad, Part four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Underground Railroad, Part four, by William Still. Section twenty five. Arrival from Richmond, eighteen fifty nine. Miles Robinson was the slave of Mrs. Roberts, a widow lady living in York County, Virginia. He did not live with her, however, but was hired out in the city of Richmond. He had been fortunate in falling into hands that had not treated him harshly. He was not contented, however. Much of the leisure falling incidentally to his lot from hours of duty he devoted to the banjo. As a player on this instrument he had become quite gifted but music in richmond was not liberty the latter he craved and in thought was often far beyond mason and dixon's line enjoying that which was denied him in virginia although but twenty-two years of age miles was manly and determination and intelligence were traits strongly marked in his unusually well-shaped visage hearing that he was to be sold he conferred not with his mother brothers or sisters for such he had living as slaves in richmond but resolved to escape by the first convenience turning his attention to the underground railroad he soon found an agent who communicated his wishes to one of the colored women running as cook or chambermaid on one of the philadelphia and richmond steamers and she was bold enough to take charge of him and found him a safe berth in one of the closets where the pots and other cooking utensils belonged It was rather rough and trying, but Miles felt that it was for liberty and he must pass through the ordeal without murmuring, which he did, until success was achieved and he found himself in Philadelphia. Boston being the haven on which his hopes were fixed, after recruiting a short while in the city he steered for said place. Finding liberty there, as sweet as he had fondly hoped to find it, he applied himself unceasingly to industrial pursuits economy, the improvement of his mind, and the elevation of his race. Four years he passed thus, under the shadow of Bunker Hill, at the end of which time he invested the earnings which he had saved, in a business with two young friends in Philadelphia. All being first-class waiters and understanding catering, they decided to open a large dining saloon. Miles was one of the two friends mentioned in William Scott's narrative and as his success and consequent fortunes have been already referred to it will suffice here to mention him simply in connection with two contests that he sustained with the prejudice that sought to drive colored people from the passenger cars at the corner of fourth and walnut streets miles in company with two other young men wallace and marshall one evening in a most orderly manner entered the cars and took their seats The conductor ordered them on the front platform. They did not budge. He stopped the car and ordered them out. This did no good. He read rules, and was not a little embarrassed by these polite and well-dressed young men. Finally, he called for the police, who arrested all three. Miles did not yield his seat without a struggle. In being pulled out, his resistance was such that several window lights were broken in the car. The police, being in strong force, however, succeeded in marching their prisoners to the mayor's police station at the corner of Fifth and Chestnut Streets, where they were locked up to await further investigation. The prisoners thought they were back in Old Virginia again. Miles gritted his teeth and felt very indignant, but what could he do? The infamous prejudice, against which they had borne testimony, was controlling all the lines of city passenger railways in Philadelphia while miles and his friends were willing to suffer for a principle the dirt filth cold and disagreeableness of the quarters that they most likely would be compelled to occupy all night and the following day sunday for bad submission added to this miles felt that his young wife would hardly be able to contain herself while he was locked up they sent for the writer to intercede for them at a late hour of the night After going from the alderman's boarding house to a fire engine house and other places where it was supposed that he might probably be found, on going a third time to his hotel a little before midnight, he was discovered to be in bed, and it was then ascertained that he had not been out all the evening (the night was very stormy), we could not tell whether or not the fruitless chase on which we had been sent in search of the alderman was in keeping with the spirit that had locked the men up, designed to mislead us. He condescended at last to appear, and accepted our offer to go bail for all of them, and finally issued a discharge. This was hastily delivered at the station, and the prisoners were released. But Miles was not satisfied. He had breathed free air in Massachusetts for four years, and being a man of high spirit, he felt that he must further test the prejudices of the cars. Consequently, one very cold night, when a deep snow covered the pavements, he was out with his wife and thought that he would ride his wife being fair he put her on the car at the corner of 3rd and pine streets and walked to the corner of 4th and pine streets where he stepped into the car and took his seat the conductor straightway ordered him out on the plea of color god had shaded him a little too much how is this my wife is in this car spake miles all eyes gazed around to see who his wife was By this time the car had been stopped, and the wrath of the conductor was kindled prodigiously. He did not, however, lay violent hands upon Miles. A late decision in court had taught the police that they had no right to interfere, except in cases where the peace was actually being broken. So in order to get rid of this troublesome customer, the car was run off the track, the shivering passengers all leaving it, as though flying from a plague, with the exception of Miles, his wife, and another colored gentleman who got on with Miles. The conductor then hoisted all the windows, took out the cushions, and unhitched the horses. But Miles and his party stood it bravely, Miles burning all the time with indignation at this exhibition of prejudice in the city of brotherly love. The war was then raging fiercely, and as Miles then felt, he was almost prepared to say he didn't care which beat, as the woman said when she saw her husband and the bear wrestling he was compelled to admit that this prejudice was akin to slavery, and gave to slavery its chief support. The occupants of the horseless car, which was being aired so thoroughly, remained in it for a length of time until they had sufficiently borne their testimony, and then they too quietly forsook it. Prior to this event, by his industry and hard-earned savings, Miles had become the owner of a comfortable brick house and had made up his mind to remain a citizen of philadelphia but the spirit which prompted the aforesaid treatment called up within him reflections somewhat similar to those aroused by slavery and it was not a great while before he offered his property for sale including his business stand resolving to return to boston he received an offer for his property accepted it pulled up stakes and again hopefully turned his face thitherward The ambitious Miles commenced business in Chelsea, near Boston, where he purchased himself a comfortable home, and he has ever since been successfully engaged in the sale of kerosene oil. Instead of seeking pleasure in the banjo, as he was wont to do in Virginia, he now finds delight in the Baptist Church, Rev. Mr. Grimes's, of which he is a prominent member, and in other fields of usefulness tending to elevate and better the condition of society generally. End of section 25